I'm Heather Fleming, founder of In Purpose Educational Services and author of the book, My Black Friend Says. And I'm Delaney Ray, the coordinator of the LEAP Institute. So what do we do now, Heather? Same thing we've always done, Delaney. Keep fighting for an equitable world. This time in a podcast. Welcome to the Listen, Learn, Love podcast, where comfortable friends chat about uncomfortable topics. Let's do it. So, Delaney. Yes, Heather. As you know, it's Mellow May, correct? You know what? If you're about to harsh my mellow. I am not going to harsh your mellow. As a matter of fact, I wanted to tell the audience about something that you said to me that was just such an awesome compliment. Tell me. Tell me. So we were talking about, we were in our um, weekly team meeting um, with our two other compadres, Katie and Chris. Um, Oh, yes, we have a wonderful new intern named Chris. They are magnificent and they are really rocking it. But anyway, that's just not the point. But we were talking about just, you know, being happy to work together. And you said that working at In Purpose is like having it's, it's like therapy, you said. It's it's really good for your soul. And that was just the best compliment. It has made me feel great all week. Because, as you know, I have worked in places that did not at all feel like therapy. And it's true, and I meant it. For a lot of reasons. One, I'm just so lucky to work with such amazing people. That have we've really become friends through mm-hmm. as well as all working together, you know, as our boss and leader, you really foster this, these relationships. And I think it's great that you look at us as humans that have all kinds of things going on in our lives and that we'll work our best at IPS when we're at our best as people. Because I, too, have had jobs that really were not interested in me as a person, just me as the output for the job. So, no, I meant it. It is therapy for me. That is so, that just makes me feel really great. So tell me this. Yes. What was the worst job you ever worked at? Oh, man, the worst. Well, gosh. I've had some really stressful jobs. <laughs> I've had some really stressful supervisors. Yeah. Hands down, the worst job I ever had in college. I, You know, I don't know. I was a waitress at a restaurant for, I want to say, maybe one month. And I realized that waitressing was just not the place to be for me. But I did also, at the ripe age of 16, work at McDonald's. And that probably will always be the worst <laughs> job ever. Um, it just, it wasn't a good job. It was fast food. It was McDonald's. And I'm going to be honest, I had to put up with some kind of predatory behaviors from my, you know, the male managers there that I look back on and I would handle very differently now than I knew how to handle things as a 16 year old high school kiddo. That's the reason why it's so important for, you know, us to talk to our elders when we run into problems because, you know, they have insight that um, we may not have had. But I, of course, when I was that age, I had no idea 
whatsoever how smart my mom was. As a matter of fact, my mom and my dad did not become smart until I moved to college. And, and then, then you they, were suddenly responsible they, for all your own decisions. <laughs> and they were freaking geniuses at that point. <laughs> called them like every day. <laughs> and my poor mom would be like, Mom, can you tell me how to do my laundry? Yeah. Yes. You- <laughs> yeah. I remember those. I'll tell you one of the funniest jobs I had, though. This was in college. And I actually, I'm going to tell you this story, and then you're going to be shocked to find out I actually had this job for years in college. But it was just easy. The hours were great, and it was really an easy job once I got used to it. But I worked at a little restaurant. It was in Southern Illinois, and half the menu was Chinese food, and half the menu was American barbecue. Because... (laughs) The couple that owned it, she was Chinese and he was American. And so it was just this combination of amazing Chinese food and amazing barbecue. But the funny part was the woman who owned and ran the whole place, she really was the matriarch of the whole place. And she treated us all kind of like her children. And when I first started working there, she and I would make mistakes, she would just call me stupid girl. <laughs> and... She would she so would have correct what I was doing and she would just call me stupid yeah. girl. So I told my parents this story and they decided what I really needed <laughs> was a name tag that just said <laughs> stupid girl on it. Oh my gosh. And I you would think that that would have been traumatizing but it wasn't like it was part of, partially it felt like a cultural language kind of difference and mm-hmm. she wasn't a mean person really it just that's i don't you know i that's what i did but the the other part that was funny about that job is me being ethnically ambiguous mm-hmm. i was surprised at the number of people who assumed i was her daughter they would come <laughs> in and say oh you must be her daughter so i used to just always crack up and tell my mom like i've learned so much from this job i apparently look chinese to some people and i'm a stupid girl <laughs> Poor Delaney. You want to know my worst job? Tell me. So I was at college in a small northern town. I won't say which one. But when I was at school, I decided to get a job as a certified nurse's assistant at this small nursing home facility, right? And so there was a woman. I only made it a month because that was the worst job ever. And there's body fluids that I can't handle. And so, yeah, I couldn't really do that job effectively. But there was a an older woman. She was in her 90s. And she had Parkinson's, so she, she shook quite a bit. But what she would do is that I um, she would ring her bell. And so I would walk into her room, and she would lift her little decrepit head, look at me, and call me the N-word. And then I would say, I would say, oh, so you don't need anything. And I would walk right back out. And so once we did that little routine about five or six times, they finally told me that I didn't have to respond to any of her calls anymore. But yeah, needless to say, I didn't last in that job for very long at all. It was the worst. That kind of harshed my mellow, that story. I am sorry. I didn't know That's just what's so amazing to me sometimes when people are like, racism's gone. Is that right? <laughs> right. Thanks for letting are me you know. Sure. 
Yeah, because I have lots of stories like that. Um, what was your first job? That would have been McDonald's. Yeah, That's my right, first real that. real job would have been the McDonald's. Um, oh, do you want to know one of my coolest jobs? What's that? I don't think you know this. I don't think we've ever talked about it. I was a, um, now I don't even remember what you call them, disc jockey on a local radio station. Shut up, for real? I was. No wonder you're so good at this podcast thing. Look at you. Now, here's the funny part. You will totally understand. I kind of loved that job, but the part Mm -hmm. that was so hard for me and stressed me out (laughs) was dealing with the technology and remembering how to turn (laughs) things like on and off and get the commercials to work. (laughs) No, Delaney, I'm really surprised by that. I no no I'm the I'm the boomer of technology. You are. That's why it's so impressive that you edit this our our podcast each week and you upload it and do all that fun stuff. But do so. you remember how long of a process it was for me to learn how to do it? <laughs> Again, which makes it even more impressive. I'm proud. <laughs> I'm proud. Well, listen, my first job was at a frozen custard place. But here's the kick. Tell me. I kind of told them a fib. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was 15 at the time, but I told them I was 16. And so I only got the work there as long as I could put them off from getting my birth certificate. Oh, you yeah. lie. I worked there for like two, two months. And then they were finally like, you can't come back in until you get your birth certificate. And I was like, well, I can't go back in. <laughs> But here, this is the thing about it. Like, I could fool them because at 15, I was already, you know, tall. I was five foot seven. I'm five foot nine now. So I kept growing. But I was five foot seven. I was, you know, tall and thin, kind of, you know, still young looking, but not super young looking. And so that's how I got away with it for a minute. But yeah. Do you know that's funny that you bring that up? because. Months and months ago, when we first met Katie in in person, live, you know, pandemic, we did so much after working together for months. Right. (laughs) That was the one thing Katie said about both of us. She's like, oh, my gosh, you're both so tall. People are so surprised to meet me and realize I am also 5'9". You and I are both very tall. Tall. Um, I love it. But that's we have a we have a mutual friend, one of our really good friends, and she is taller than us. And it is such a wonderful experience because usually we're the ones towering over our friends and we finally get to come to someone's shoulder <laughs> or <Yeah>. someone's yeah. ear. <laughs> It's amazing to have to look up. So let me tell you about another job I had. I don't, What's that? I think maybe we've talked about once. I don't know if you know this or not. Mm-hmm. What? In college, I took some several dance classes as part of, I think I had to take some PE classes, credits in college. And I really enjoyed them. <laughs> and so then I started taking a series of dance classes that was traditional Middle Eastern dance Oh, wow. And I got a job working at a Middle Eastern restaurant there. I actually was a belly dancer. <sighs> no, I didn't know that. You didn't know that? I didn't know that. So, listen. Why do you come up with all of these interesting things? Like, wow. 
But here's the thing. I tell people that and I think their mind immediately goes to like strippers. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I have to. Take it. And, it, and again, because I was ethnically ambiguous, people just didn't question. Right. Like she's a belly dancer, you know, but it was really a cool job. And one of the things I loved about it was getting to know so many different people that worked there and the cultures. And it, it you know, it was an eye opening experience and I loved it. And it was really strict. You know, we had strict rules about the costumery that we wore was very traditional and had been brought to the United States from Middle Eastern countries. We were not allowed to just walk around not fully clothed. Uh, we were not ever allowed to approach a table from the side of a man. We could approach a table from the side of a woman. We, we could pose for pictures afterwards. But what I always tell people that I think was the coolest part about the job. Really, it was women that loved us. I really only remember women wanting their pictures taken with us, the dancers, mm -hmm. and like pregnant women and women with babies always wanted me to like hold their babies in pictures. <laughs> and so it was safe. It was a wonderful job. My family would come eat there sometimes. And, you know, when I was working on, on the weekends, so there was nothing shady about it from my perspective, but I don't tell a whole lot of people because when I do, their minds immediately go somewhere and I'm like, nope. <laughs> nope. They nope. won't like that. Nope, nope. I, I would love to learn a belly dance. One of these days, I'll actually be able to, you know, afford lessons and, hey, Heather. and all that fun stuff. What? You could teach me? Back in college, I didn't uh -huh. have a belly. <laughs> <laughs> now, I well, have a belly. <laughs> well, I, I mean, could, well, I, really um, do. I have like two at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I have one I can share. Yeah, yeah. I the belly rolls. I was like, how did I even do that at that age? Like now I'd be like, when I laugh, my belly rolls. <laughs> I personally think it would be a real talent for me to learn how to how to make both of my bellies roll. Kind of like the wave, you know, <laughs> passing it off. Yeah, yeah. just do it like that. So in college, my only job, no, I had a I had that job at the horrible home, but I also had a job at this pasta delivery place. It was like fast food pasta, but it was some of the best pasta you ever wanted to taste. So I worked there for a few months with my best friend, Barb. And then I think that's all that I really remember. Did some stuff around campus. That's it. But then when I got out of college, my first job was actually in Jeff City. I worked for the division of um, personnel and it was really cool because I I had people that um, were basically trying to groom me to go into politics. Mm. I know. And that is also when I got to spend a day reading pro um, proclamations for Mel Carnahan, who was the governor at that time. Um, you know that unfortunately at the end of his govern end of his time as governor. He he was running for Senate and unfortunately passed away in a, a plane crash along with his son and another aide. And so I just have always remembered that probably harsh Mello, didn't it? That wasn't great. OK, I'm sorry. But I just remember he was so I, I get why he entered politics. He was so 
amazing. We spent the day, entire day with him. It was me and another African-American girl. And I'll never forget at one point, he starts telling this story and he's like standing at the window in his office and he starts telling this story. And behind his back, the, the other girl and I are looking at each other like, hey, Mel, where are you going with this? And by the time he wrapped the story up, I can't even remember what the story was about. But by the time he wrapped it up, he had connected it to some other stuff. And we were both sitting there like, oh, wow. He like taught a little lesson in telling that story. And he had the prettiest eyes, these pretty blue eyes. Uh, I just always remember him. So that was an awesome job. But I felt I fell in love, of course, with my now husband. And so I wanted to get back to St. Louis and ended up um, getting a job with child support enforcement. That was fun. Was that here in St. Louis? It was. It was here in St. Louis. So I would I ask you to... more about it, but I think that would really marsh my mellow. March my mellow. <laughs> I'm all about marshmallows. <laughs> that was weird. Let me try that again. I think that would really harsh my mellow hearing more about that. What an amazing experience, though, before going into teaching. I bet that really it changed was. your perspectives. It does. It, it changes my pers- it changed my perspective of well, it didn't change my perspective. It gave me a fuller perspective of the people that are living on the margins. You know, when you have individuals who you know, mothers that are trying to survive on literally there would be people who would get like $2 and some change a month for child support because the person could only get minimum wage jobs. And so all of their, you know, child support orders would be for like $50 a month or something like that. There's no child that can survive on $50 a month. It just, that was what it was when you looked at the formula for Missouri. But then you would also see people that were getting like $6,000 a month. And it was just a huge difference to see the inequities, if we're going to be honest, some of the inequities that you would see and then having to try to manage it. And I know a lot of people see some of my responses to folks and are like, how did you manage to respond like that? That's where I learned because of the fact that I was a, I ended up promoting up to being a supervisor. And once I became a supervisor, basically the phone calls I would get would be the angry ones. And so it would be my job to calm them down, figure out the situation, and then let them know that that we are trying to help. We, you know, but the reality is like all of my because I was an enforcement supervisor. So there was establishment side and there was enforcement side, right? And so enforcement were the people that came in and collected. And on any given day, a an enforcement technician could only touch about at the most five or six cases, you know, because of the way that they had to go in, review it, calculate, do all of these things. They can only touch about six cases at the most, five or six. However, each of these enforcement supervisors had 1,100 cases. Wow. And so in the meanwhile, they're getting like 20 calls a day or however many calls a day from people that are like, I didn't get my money or, you know, they need some type of help. It was, it was a hard job to do. And I applaud all the people that did it. But yes, in the meanwhile, I was also studying to get my teacher certification. And so I, once I did, I left there and I did my student teaching um, in St. Charles. And then I did, um, what did I do after that? I went and I taught at Bashan High School. 
And that was another awesome experience. I would never forget there was a player that kept playing around in my class, basketball player, and he was, you know, doing very well as far as, you know, like one of the stars has, it was a star on the team at, as a freshman. And so he was doing very, very well, but he was messing up in class. He wasn't doing work. Behavior was terrible. And I'll never forget, I just emailed Coach Floyd Irons and I said, the legendary Floyd Irons, and I said, um, you know, I'm having problems with such and such student. I was hoping that you can give him a talk or, you know, whatever, if you could partner with me so that we can get him on the right track, that would really help. And I will never forget that the next day I'm sitting in my classroom and here comes Floyd Irons in the door. And he <laughs> needs to say the student straightened up after that. Whoa, yeah. you called oh, him. He was big. amazing. You called in big reinforcement. I did. I did. He was amazing. He just came in and. Yeah, I, I had very few problems with that student again after that because Coach Irons was like, get it together or you're going to be sitting on, a, uh, on the bench. So do you know what else what? we have in common that you probably don't even know about me? What's that? I was in elementary education in college. I was set to become a teacher. <sighs> you mean after all this time, you've never even told me that? I worked in a preschool and preschool slash daycare. I loved it. I loved working with the kids. I was really going to be the best teacher ever. And I was going to change kids' lives. And I got to the point where I was um, doing like the, you know, the starting the student teaching stuff. Mm -hmm. and I, I was put in a seventh grade language arts classroom. <laughs> You're laughing. You, and this was in a little tiny town in Southern Illinois. They broke me. That class, <laughs> they broke me. The kids broke me. The parents broke me. The teachers broke me. I made it till spring break and I was like, so I'm not going to be a teacher. <laughs> I changed my major and I graduated with a degree in speech communication. <laughs> so whenever I hear anybody like dogging or talking bad about teachers, I'm like, unless your butt has been in a classroom. It really wasn't the students. It was the parents. And I think that that particular school I was in had a high number of teachers who were burnt out. Mm -hmm. And I experienced kind of the dark underbelly, I think, of the anger and sadness and hurt. And um, it was just, it was hard. It was really, really hard. And I was like, I'm not. Talk about harshing a mellow. But, and it, listen, since it's already harshed a little bit, but... This is exactly what we're seeing going on in our region right now. I don't want to get too deep into it, but that's what we see going on. And I just want to applaud all the teachers who have been dealing with, honestly, with, with death threats, with, you know, people threatening violence, all because they're choosing to honor the history and legacy of, of all their students, not just certain students. Um, those teachers deserve the biggest round of applause. Teacher Appreciation Week could not yield enough gifts for those people. And I and I could just tell you, teaching is hard. Teaching is really, really hard. Um, I love it, though. I loved it. Well, to a certain degree, I still teach. You absolutely do still teach. You know, yeah, just a different and just different a different, way. yeah, in a different way. But when I was actually in the classroom, oh gosh, I loved it. 
I loved it. It probably was, it was, it was a combination of my favorite job and it was a combination. It, it was also one of my worst jobs because the kids were everything. Sometimes the adults, not so much. And then let's be honest, if you're in there trying to make any type of, of real change, you're going to be the object of a lot of, um, I, I don't want to say animosity, but, you know, like distrust. And um, there were people that questioned my methods, questioned uh, my professionalism, questioned all kinds of stuff. But I look at the results and um, you already know, I still have relationships with so many of my babies. As a matter of fact, Chris, our our new intern, that was, they were one of my babies. And um, I, I just, so I would never, ever change it for that. But so I will I, say, can I ask you this? That seventh graders are <laughs> almost yeah. feral. And so I also understand why. <laughs> You were like, I'm out. It was it was more than I was prepared for. Let me, can I ask you this though? With your time teaching, did you have predominantly white students or students of color? Predominantly white. Did that did that bring challenges to you as their teacher for both the students, for the parents, for your administrators? Absolutely. Absolutely. I had times when I was questioned where other people weren't, and I could have been using the exact same materials that um, another teacher used. Um, I had times when, I'll never forget, one time I was in a meeting, and as I'm sitting in the meeting, um, our department chair flashes up our like overall totals from individual teachers as far as um, how their students did on the MAP tests. Right. And so I sat and and I loved my colleagues. They were absolutely my favorite. But we we all have times when our implicit bias kicks in. Right. And so the they didn't put the teachers names on it. It was just saying teacher one, teacher two, teacher three, et cetera. And I sat and I listened to all of my coworkers, um, you know, kind of guessed, try to guess who's. Um, because there were two teachers whose students all were at least proficient or above. So no basic or below basic. They were proficient or what was the last category? Accelerated or something like that. And so I, I listened to them sit and and try to guesstimate who were those teachers and not one person mentioned me. Oh. And so I just always remember being able to, it was almost snarky to be able to be like no that teacher right there you know teacher two that's me wow yeah yeah wow so uh it was just it, it, there's just a, there were a lot of little things you know that's the thing about it is that no matter how professional you are no matter how much education you get we still as black women indigenous women women of color have to deal with you know a thousand small cuts microaggressions mm -hmm. all the time and sometimes they come from uh, here's one story I'll never forget there was a one of the administrators sent me to get and it was I think it was my last year of teaching so one of the administrators it was open house night and um, they were getting ready to get introduced in front of this big gym filled with parents and so the administrator was looking for the um department chair of the counseling department, who was also the senior counselor, who was 
also a black woman. And I went <clears throat> around the building looking for her. She had been in another meeting um, prior to that. And so I went around the building looking for her. And by the time I finally caught up with her, it was right there by in the gym, basically. And so I was telling her, I was like, oh, the administrator was looking for you. Well, this parent looks and says, shh, be quiet. I'm trying to listen. And I honestly looked at him. <laughs> My coworker looked at him. All of the administrators turned and looked like, oh, you just messed up type of thing. So I, I looked at him, stared him up and down, and then I turned back around and finished saying what I was saying to to my coworker, and then we left. And so that particular year, my coworker was the senior counselor. I was, I had senior classes, right? And so I sat there thinking to myself, if there's a God in heaven, that man will have to walk into my classroom and see me, and I'll be doggone. Because what happens is that after the the opening in the gym, the parents run through their student schedule. And so you have like seven minutes to do like a spiel to all the parents before the, the bell rings and they get to go to the next class. Right. The man walked into my classroom and his entire face dropped and I could visibly see it. the black woman that you. We're just rude to not only, and here's the the even better part, not only is she your child's teacher, I was literally his kid's absolute favorite teacher. Of course you were. There were no, no even ifs, ands, or buts about it. I was his, I was his son's absolute favorite teacher. And so I went through, I did my whole spiel. And then when it was time to leave, I was standing at the doorway and I was like meeting the parents and shaking their hands as they were leaving. And this guy comes up. I just want to apologize. And girl, I shook my head like, oh, uh-huh. Okay. And when I tell you like, when he went to grab my hand to shake it, how I pulled him along and out the door. (laughs) 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 And bye-bye. And so it's just little things like that that we had to deal with. I I had kids taken out of my class because they or their parents didn't like the way that I did things, supposedly, or the lessons that I taught. Or, you know, there was just a lot of things, little things, but it's still, <clears throat> that's the thing about it. All my, my, all my other babies made those people unimportant, obsolete. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's such an important story to tell because teaching is very difficult for everybody, which we've established very in this conversation. Difficult. But then you have an added layer on top of it, which is how hard you have to work to earn the trust and respect of the students and parents that are not black and maybe Mm -hmm. have unintended biases towards you that they've never they've never worked through and processed before because they've never been challenged to. Yep. And so um, we see now that some people don't do well with that challenge. Um, Here's the thing, Delaney. So. It's mellow May. I've already harshed your mellow. Sorry. But I'm going to I'm going to pick you up by saying that this week we have some additional prizes. We have these beautiful coffee cups. Um, we as a matter of fact, I'm ordering us some more Delaney, just for me and you. 
And then, although I will tell you that our um, crafter for this, Kristen Little, sent you a coffee cup with a Birkenstock on the front oh of it. Oh my gosh! Just I love this for you. Just but I, other ones, it has bling on it and so we are really excited about all the bling that people can win we have um little tote bags we have masks we have a notebook a little small um notebook and we like to thank natasha taylor from tailored innovations for doing our uh, notebook. So they are done with glitter resin. They are absolutely gorgeous. We like to thank Ashley Miller of Creative Souls for doing our masks, our bags, and we even have socks. So Heather, let me tell people a little bit about how they can win that. If you haven't been listening and heard all of the rules, what it is, is every episode in May, we are hiding some trivia knowledge, some details. And so what you have to do is go to our website, go to our social medias and look for the questions. We will be putting questions out each week preceding the release of that week's episode. And so listen to the episode, find the answer to the question, email us at listen, learn, love at inpurposeea.com. Did I get that right, Heather? I'm so proud of you, Delaney. Oh. It only took you 22 episodes to learn it. <laughs> email us the answer each week. If you email the answer to the question, you will be put in a drawing for that week's prizes. And then at the end of the month, once all of our episodes have aired, so in June, we're going to ask anyone who has all four correct answers email us all four answers of all four episodes that aired in May and you will be put in for the grand prize, which is bum, 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 getting a guest spot on an upcoming episode with us. Yay! Oh, I also forget we have stickers by Audrey Marie Brown. And so lots of great prizes that you can win. We also want to thank our new patrons that have signed up to support us on Patreon. That is Kimlin Harris, who is a wonderful human being. She actually went through our Leap Institute program. And so um, a great person. And we really appreciate the fact that she has just jumped in with two, you know, two feet to being our partners on this equity journey. And then the other one is my um, arch nemesis. Um, what? But I appreciate it. But yes, Jess Burgett, your days are limited. What? We love Jessica. No, Jessica sent me a stinking, I hate to even say it, a crock keychain. And to make <laughs> matters even worse, it's in our colors. She made it lime green. I knew I loved that, Jessica. No, no, yeah, no, yeah, no. yeah. Good stuff. Count your days, Burkett. <laughs> Thank you for supporting us. It but thank you for supporting us until I until that time. Comes. Until the end. We appreciate <laughs> you. We appreciate <laughs> you. <laughs> we love you, but but we're still gonna have to kick you off the yeah. island. <laughs> exactly. So thank you for all. If you would like to support us, you can go to um, www.patreon.com. 
backslash listen, learn, love. You can sign up to support us for as little as $5 a month. And right now, there are a lot of people who are trying very hard to get me into um, Crocs because I have promised Delaney that once we get 100 patrons, that I will wear a pair of ugly ass Crocs. Anyway, you can also follow us on, what is it, Twitter at InPurposeEA, that is I-N-Purpose-E-A, or you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at InPurposeES. And of course, you can always email us at listenlearnlove at InPurposeEA.com, as Delaney previously said. Last thing I want to leave you with, if you could, as you are going in and you're checking stuff out on our page, go ahead and leave a comment and like it. Even better, share it because we've got to start tricking those algorithms into making sure that more people can see and learn about In Purpose, about the Listen, Learn, Love podcast, and about all the resources that we have available for people because we want as many people to partner with us and to be in this journey with us as possible. So Delaney. Yes, Heather. You want to be mellow again next week? I want to be mellow forever. (laughs) I'll see you. Thanks for listening to this episode. You can support us on Patreon by looking for the Listen, Learn, Love podcast or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at InPurposeES. That is I-N-PurposeES. You can also follow us on Twitter at InPurposeEA or visit our website at www.InPurposeEA.com. Heather, this was great. Do you want to do it again next week? I sure do, Delaney. Awesome. Talk to you then. Bye.